Welcome, everybody, to the Making Disciples podcast. This is episode 25 of the show. Uh, Thank you for joining us today. Today, we have our first ever guest. His name is Steve Henton, the author of Confessions, Finding Hope Through One Pastor's Doubt. Steve, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, Isaiah, thank you very much. First of all, I just want to encourage you. I love what you're doing. Uh, You're way ahead of your time. Um, I think you're you're spot on. Uh, The call is not just to get people to church which we want, you know, we want people to step across the line and to give their lives to Christ, but it's about being a disciple. And that's more than uh, just an intellectual trans uh, transaction. That's that spiritual formation. It's being more like Jesus. You know, that that's the call, uh, especially in Matthew 28. So uh, uh, Isaiah, thank you. I'm I'm happy to be here with you this morning. Yes, sir. Matthew 28, right on that line. There you are. There There you go. Um, (laughs) So, like you said, to start off, I mean, the purpose of this podcast is to make disciples. And through your life, you know, you're a pastor, you're an author, through the course of your Christian path, what are some of those struggles and even skills that you've developed in discipleship? Well, it, I, I think that I've been able to see discipleship on just what has happened in my own life. Um, discipleship can be a, a long process. A lot of it is. Uh, some of it's very quick, stepping across the line, like when you give your uh, your life to Jesus Christ, when you actually do that. And, you know, I remember my own story, my own life. I grew up in a, um, uh, a home where we had a biblical worldview. We, we believed in God in the general sense. Uh, but it wasn't until I was about 12 uh, that I was having a conversation with uh, one of my uncles, and he just led me through a number of scriptures, and the Holy Spirit just connected it all. And I realized uh, who I was, who God is, uh, what sin is that I had sinned, and uh, what Jesus had done for me on the cross, and I stepped across the line. And it was shortly, you know, within a few weeks, I just sensed that God was calling me into full-time vocational ministry, and that was a long road, uh, deciding and, and figuring out what exactly uh, God meant in that calling. But even, and this is one of the reasons why I wrote the book, Isaiah, just thinking about my own life, my own journey, because a lot of times people have the impression that someone who's in vocational ministry, they've got it all figured out. And the reality is we don't. And I would be afraid of anyone who says they've all got it, uh, got, got it all worked out. But in the book, Isaiah, I actually look at some of these issues uh, and I kind of use my narrative as a backdrop with the hope, with the desire that other people, especially young men, yeah. would be able to enter into this journey and deepen their own walk with Christ, ultimately to see that despite what's going on in, a, in the world around them, that there is indeed hope in Christ at the end of the tunnel, even if it may not feel like it in the immediacy of where we're at right now. Absolutely. And before I forget, guys, um, I'm going to have all of his social links and the link to his book on Amazon in the description on YouTube, Spotify, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Apple, whatever you are on. Make sure to check the description. Um, I encourage you to get that book, um, especially if you are new to becoming a disciple of Christ. Um, I've just read through a couple of those chapters, and they really spoke to me personally. So I encourage you guys to check out his social links. So if you don't mind me asking, at what age were you saved, Steve? Yeah, I think it was about 12. Uh, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to yeah. tell, 5th, uh, 6th, 7th grade. Uh, 
But it was, um, even though I can't remember the specific uh, age, I, I can still see the event in my mind's eye. And again, I can sense that everything kind of built up to a specific uh, moment in time, and it's kind of like when the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip met on the, uh, the, the the road, and Philip explained everything, and the eunuch understood everything, and he said, okay, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? There was a clear demarcation. So I remember being in late elementary school, early junior high, and uh, just looking at some of these scriptures that I had probably looked at some of these before, but everything just kind of came into fruition, came into light, and, and I realized that I needed to step across that line and give my life to Christ. So, so it was um, late el elementary school, early junior high. Okay. So like, was there anything specific that led to the salvation experience? Anything that you were going through life that made you give your life to Christ that you realized I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I need to turn my life around right now. I was old enough to begin to ask some of these questions. Right. Uh, I, I knew there was God, uh, a God. I knew that God existed. I knew that Jesus was the Son of God. But it was a, just a general sense God's out there someplace. Um, right. He loves me. I love him. But it, it, it was a moment in time, and maybe this is part of discipleship, learning how to make disciples. And I needed someone who would sit down in front of me and connect the dots. A lot of times people listen to TV preachers or radio preachers or podcasts. Right. Well, what they really need is what I had, someone who had already begun the journey to sit down with me one-on-one. -on -one. And that's what a lot of discipleship is, Isaiah, just one-on-one. Yeah. -on -one. And my uncle just took me through various passages of, of the Bible where it was very clear that I had sinned, fallen short of the glory of God because of that. Uh, Romans six twenty three. I deserve, you know, the wages of sin is death, right. and ultimately death is is hell. Uh, but the gift of God was eternal life in Christ Jesus, and I was able to really see this in in, in a beautiful, crystal clear light why Jesus died on the cross for my sin, what that meant, and the yeah. fact that he rose again, proving that that his sacrifice was sufficient, and he was the divine uh, son of God. And then the, the following Sunday, I, I was baptized, and that, that was the demarcation point in my life of, uh, you know, life and death, Steve and Jesus, and yeah. uh, just just the uh, a point of no return. That's awesome, man. So in your book, you mentioned that there is a specific special calling to those that want to be pastors. It is a special calling. And what did that special calling look like for you? It was confusing at first. It was kind of exciting, but it was confusing. But in my own journey, and it's different for, for everyone, yeah. in my own journey, I remember being at this big church in, in Amarillo, Texas, and, and I'm from the Panhandle, so that's where this occurred. And this would have been maybe a month, maybe two, two at the most. Uh, after I'd given my life to Christ and being in this big church up in the balcony and uh, listening to the, the the preacher, the pastor preach, and I don't even remember what the text was, but I just had this in this in this moment this overwhelming sense of the Holy Spirit, and I couldn't even articulate it that way at that time. Uh, the Holy Spirit saying, Steve, you're going to be doing this someday. Yeah. This is this is what you're going to be doing someday. And it took me a while to get that figured out. Um, it, it, it took me a number of years to uh, finally uh, decide, yes, I am going to go to Bible college. I am going to pursue this. Uh, but I think that's when the initial seeds were planted, where uh, I had this sense of that's who I am. That's what I'm going to be doing. Yeah. So That's awesome. So... 
I told you, I mentioned to you that I, I read the chapter, I Hate Being a Nice Pastor, yeah. from your book. And like I said, I keep saying I love that chapter. Um, <laughs> so for the listeners out there that haven't quite had the chance to listen or read your book yet, what is the problem with being a nice pastor? There, Of course, everybody doesn't want to be an offensive pastor. You don't want you know to attack people, right? But at the same time, you don't want to preach, for example, the prosperity gospel or what some other pastors do, which is telling people that you, they don't bring up their sin. All they say is how to live a good life. So what are the ups and downs to being the quote-unquote nice pastor? Yeah, that, that that's a good question. And one of the reasons I put that in the book uh, was to kind of prompt everybody, especially in your, your venue that you're talking about here in discipleship, that discipleship is for anyone who knows Christ, not yeah, just the absolutely. vocational pastor. But I think to fully understand the, the angst that I have against that is just understanding the word pastor itself, because that word, Isaiah, is so overused yeah. in our culture today. And when it's overused in so many ways, it means so many things, then it really doesn't mean anything specific. Right. Uh, biblically, uh, this, is, this is of interest. Biblically, the word itself or the root only appears three times in Scripture. Uh, it, it's used as a noun. It's also used as uh, in, in a verb form where Paul tells the elders of Ephesus to shepherd their right. church. And in, in, in that moment, it, it's a word that refers to the elders. And I think the problem that we have and that I had in my own journey is because there are so many uh, hats attached to this word, I tried to do them all and it, it just about killed me. But, but think about it this way. Uh, some, some big preacher on the radio is called pastor so-and-so. Yeah. Uh, the pastor is the guy that shows up to visit you at the hospital or do the weddings. Uh, there are all these different pieces, and it's hard to really look at all of those. Uh, part of it also being that when we have the word pastor, and, and I understand some people want to call me that out of respect, I get that, but sometimes it's this idea that, okay, that is the pastor, that is the missionary, uh, that is the elder, the deacon, the deaconess, you know, whatever, therefore they do the religious stuff, Yeah, I don't have to. And the truth of the matter is, they the, the job of a pastor, and we see this Ephesians, is not to, to do all the work of the ministry, but to equip the saints, right. you know, to do the work of the ministry. You know, pastor's kind of like a coach. The pastor actually doesn't get on, you know, down on the gridiron to play football. He coaches the team or she coaches the team to play it. And when you look at pastor and, and kind of getting back to what you were saying, a lot of times people do look at the pastor as being the nice guy who, you know, comes to see you when you feel sick or feel bad and encourage you and, and things of that nature. But part of the call of vocational ministry is to speak truth. And even going back to my own story, I, I would not have been in a position where Jesus refers to it as being born again if someone not had not said, Steve, you've sinned. Yeah. The Bible says you have sinned. And, and we can't understand grace until we understand the need for grace. Right. And that's part of the problem is that people don't like to hear that. For me personally, uh, again, I, I think it was all these expectations and realizing I can't fulfill everything. The, the, the better 
road, especially for me, is, is to really see specifically what I am called to do in my niche, my role. Uh, my wife serves as a hospital chaplain, and she said uh, to me a number of times, Steve, you would be a great hospital chaplain. And, uh, you know, apparently I've got a good, you know, bedside uh, demeanor, which, you know, which is nice. But I couldn't do that. I, I, I do that a little bit. But I really sense going back to when God kind of thumped me on the head that that my niche is in the proclamation, uh, whether it's preaching, whether it's teaching, whether it's writing. So the the idea of, man, there are all these bad ideas out there. How does that affect me? Well, it's killing me. It, you know, it's burning me out. Yeah. And then on the flip side, it gives so many people an excuse to get out of their realm of discipleship. If you're in Jesus, if you are a Jesus, if you are a disciple of Jesus, that means that you make disciples. You may not do it the way that I do it. Right. You may do it in the realm of, hey, you've got a neighbor who doesn't have any money and they need some work done on the car and you know how to do it. You go over and show the love of Christ by helping that neighbor fix their their car, you're yeah. doing it in the love of Christ. That's actually a piece of evangelism and discipleship right there, just serving others. Yeah, and like most people, like we mentioned, the quote-unquote nice pastors who don't focus on the preaching of the truth fully, they, uh, they mention that they don't want to enforce their religion on others or push their religion, and that's not what Christianity is, right? Christianity is aggressive, it's not passive. Jesus himself said that he did not come to bring peace, but a sword. So I, I appreciate you speaking out on that. So, And, and I think the, 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 the tension there, and, and Isaiah, I love what, what John says about Jesus in, in, in John 1.14, that Jesus came full of grace yep. and truth. And, and Jesus, you're right, Jesus even said he did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, the, the, the tension is that is not that I'm going to be you know, what I call a jerk for Jesus and Absolutely. go around and just thump people on the head. Right. But it, 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 it is the byproduct by me or you or any disciple of Christ merely speaking the truth. That's going to make other people mad. Yeah. That's going to make other people uncomfortable. And that's going to produce a tension, yeah. not because I'm a jerk, but just I'm speaking the truth. And they want to, they, there's the backlash. They're convicted and, and, and they, they fight back on that, and that's where this truth um, arises. So it's not so much I'm being a jerk, but, right. but being brave enough just to speak the truth, knowing that there's going to be pushback on it. Absolutely. So how do you navigate speaking the truth and the aggression of the gospel in such a me-centric world, country? Oh, that's huge. That that is a problem, Isaiah. Not just in our country, but in so many of our churches. Yeah. Um, we're, we're just you know just around the corner from the Fourth Fourth of July, and we're talking yeah. about freedom, and we want freedom. And it's interesting when you look at our DNA that we're created in the image of God. Uh, we have the free will. Uh, God expects us to pr produce. Uh, we don't see this in communism. We don't see this in socialism. We see this in a society where we have the freedom to get up and be who God created us to be and to produce. We're expected to produce. The negative side is when it's all about us. And so much, you mentioned social gospel earlier. Uh, so much of what we hear today, not just in the church, but in our culture is, 
what am I going to get out of this? Right. You know, what am I going to get out of this marriage? What am I going to get out of this contract? How is this going to benefit me? Whereas Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve right. and, and ultimately to give my life as a ransom for many. You know, that that's part of the gospel is what Jesus gave to us. So trying to, to navigate that, for me, uh, Isaiah, it's spending a lot of time in prayer, uh, time in the Word, trying to, to, to f- constantly fill myself up to just immerse myself in God's Word, and then in, in prayer, trying to listen to the Holy Spirit, because there are times where there's a prompting to, to press into someone. And it, it may just be to ask the hard questions. Hey, you just made the statement. Have you really thought about what you're saying? You know, get them to think through it. Uh, sometimes, though, th- there's a prompting to just step back. Uh, I've spoken the truth, and now I just need to get out of the way because the Holy Spirit's working on that person. So, you know, how do I navigate this? Part of it is just planning. Uh, you know, over a course of the, uh, of the year, uh, what are some things that I'm going to be teaching about? What are some things right. that I'm going to be preaching out that, that, that I do set a, a general agenda? Um, part of it is planning. Okay, I, I, I've got this many hours in the day. I've got this many uh, days in the week. Can I have these conversations with these people at this time? But through prayer and through abiding in, in Christ, and that's what Jesus said in John chapter 15, that, that we abide with him, which is what a discipleship is. In abiding with Christ, listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, because I'm going to make my plans, but there are times when there are interruptions, and I have to be able to do that. There are times where I have to say, okay, I really want to jump in and box this guy on the nose. Right. And the Holy Spirit saying, Steve, Steve, back up. And then there are times where uh, Steve, uh, God saying, Steve, okay, I need you to take some more initiative here because I love this person and I want you to speak to this person from my word. So it's a, I think a lot of things, Isaiah, it's a balance that we're making plans, but we're also through prayer and meditation on the word, trying to, to listen to the nudges of the Holy Spirit as we walk through our days. Amen. So we, of course, touched up on how a lot of pastors, they preach on how to live a good life and how if you donate this much, you'll receive this blessing. And that's not scriptural, of course. Um, But instead, Jesus told us that in this temporal world, we would undergo persecution and trials. So what are some of those persecutions and trials that you have had to face in your uh, discipleship path? Yeah, in my own path, uh, sometimes it's been from people who are outside of the church and and outside of Christ. Sometimes it's been through people that I refer to as as angry atheists. In other words, it's not not just someone who doesn't believe in God, but they're militant to attack anyone who does believe in God. Sometimes it's like that. Sometimes in the discipleship process, and this is interesting, sometimes the hits and knocks have come from people within the church. And I'm not just saying, you know, I'm not saying my located autonomous, you know, body of Christ here. I'm talking about the bigger picture where as my job as a pastor, as a leader, as a teacher is to help people to grow. Sometimes people just kind of get comfortable. Yeah. And when I'm trying to call them to step deeper into Christ, that makes them uncomfortable. And the pushback is, okay, we're fine. We're fine. Leave us alone. And, And sometimes there's backlash in that realm as well. But you're absolutely right. Uh, Jesus talked about persecution. Uh, John, the Apostle John talked about it. It's this reality that 
that if we make a choice, okay, I really am going to live for Jesus, there's going to be pushback. There's going to be pushback. And we have to be ready for that. Um, we have to be willing, okay? I, I may lose my job. I may lose a relationship. I may lose whatever. If you live in other parts of the world today, like China or Saudi Arabia, mm -hmm. yeah. you may lose your life. Right. But it's willing to say, I, I trust Jesus. Jesus is is the zenith, the, the, the prime of my life. He is the divine son of God. He is my king. And I'm going to follow him no matter what, even if it costs me. So we have to be willing to do that if we're going to follow Jesus. Absolutely. And I've run into those scenarios myself at the age of 17. You know, many times I told you, I have a buddy that I work with. He's Catholic, mm -hmm. um, not practicing, but he claims to be Catholic. And right. I, I talk to him. I, I just ask him if he's ever read the Bible. And I'm ministering to him because I am invested in, he, in his eternity. I yeah. do not want to know that he had the chance to repent. The Holy Spirit called on him. And he rejected three, four, five, seven times, however many. And um, I try my best, but it gets to a point where there's a little bit of that heat. And the truth is offensive to those who are not willing to accept the truth. So moving on, I mentioned that I didn't have time to read your entire book, but I did gloss over a little bit of that first chapter. And you mentioned that we all have you know, different gifts, passions, and abilities to glorify and bless God as well as bless others. And we, of course, do not all have the gift of singing, or we do not all have mm -hmm. the gift mm -hmm. of, you know, giving a speech in public, preaching, whatever it may be. So how did you know that you had that gift of preaching or had that gift of writing? Well, Isaiah, part of it just began as a, a, a wondering in my own heart, a desire in my own heart. Uh, then there, there, there's confirmation, uh, confirmation in the sense that God gives me opportunity, uh, confirmation in the sense that other people acknowledge, hey, this is, this is, this is helpful, this is good. Uh, why don't you continue to, to, to go in that direction? So the more I pursued that, the more uh, I, I took little opportunities the more I began to step by faith one day at a time and, and listening to the advice of people who love Jesus. I mean, you want to listen to people who love Jesus, not just, just anyone, and sensing that, yeah, I have an ability to do this. I like doing this. Uh, God can work through this. So I'm going to continue to step in that direction. I think that's what people need to do, just uh, uh, listen to what the Holy Spirit may be putting into their heart, what they have natural ability to do, uh, what they're able to refine and make better, what blesses other people. Because really, it's not about you know me and what I get out of it. it it's what does this do to bless others? And just seeing what kind of doors God opens before us and, and what God is doing in, in, that, in that lane. So in the beginning of your path in ministry, did you notice any struggles, um, any need for more confidence in the beginning? In Isaiah, in my journey, uh, it wasn't so much in the beginning. It, it was after I was in this for a little while. Uh, one of the things, and, and this is not just me, this is just human nature. And, and one of the reasons I wrote the book was to, to encourage young men, and particularly uh, young men who grew up with a solid uh, father in their life, uh, in particularly a solid Christian man in their life. Because a lot of 
our well-being, uh, even our idea of theology comes from either uh, a good father or the lack thereof. Now, here, here's, here's the connection point. Uh, growing up in, in, in my story, uh, there were a number of men who came in and out of my life, and, and there was a, a number of questions about, am I a man? What does that mean? Uh, what is success? I know I stink at this area. I know I'm not good at this area. And when I began to realize as a young man, and I got into full-time vocational ministry, especially after we came back from the mission field and I was preaching at a local church, so I'm preaching on a regular basis, regular basis, regular basis, and I know that this is a calling, part of the struggle that began to appear at that time was realizing, hey, I'm doing a good job. Uh, I'm following God. I'm doing what I know I can do. I'm doing everything I know I can do, but I'm not always seeing the fruit that I think. So that caused me to doubt. And part of the doubt is just being honest, and, and this is not just me, it's everybody, that we long for affirmation. Yeah. We long ultimately for the Father's love. Yeah. But when we don't see immediate affirmation, we begin to doubt. In my own journey, I, th I think that was when the, the struggle began. Not so much when I was first in vocational ministry, but a number of years down the road where I'm thinking, hey, I've been pouring out every for, everything for this, and I'm not seeing the fruit that I think I ought to see. Yeah. At the end of the day, what God was calling me to do is to, to see the bigger picture. And God was calling me to, to be at peace in a relationship with him, whether I ever saw the fruit or not. Uh, we, we see that, you know, biblically. You know, I think the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah preached and every said, everybody said, you know, Jeremiah, stick it up your nose, stick it up your ear. Uh, we're not going to listen. But Jeremiah was called and God blessed Jeremiah and worked through Jeremiah. So the struggle, I think, was intentional by God to say, Steve, okay, let's go a little bit deeper. And that's what discipleship is. Yeah. It's moving ever deeper, 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 close to the, to the heart of Christ. And that was a struggle for me, uh, moving past the surface success and getting deeper into this communion with God, with Jesus, and being able to do what God's called me to do, whether or not humanity recognizes it uh, as being fruitful or, or otherwise. So that, that point that you made that you, know, you were focused on the fact that you weren't seeing the fruit produced that you were hoping would see. And that was uh, kind of one of the worries that I had, you know, when I preached yesterday was mm. my main, my main mm. prayer was, Lord, let this seed flourish, let this bear fruit. Mm -hmm. um, and of course you talk about um, when people, you know, compliment us. I don't do well with compliments personally. Mm. <laughs> uh, my dad does not either because it, um, I don't want any pride. I do not want to pat myself on the back at all. So a specific prayer that I had was when I when I got done that I asked I asked God that I don't want any compliments. I don't want anyone to tell me how good of a job I did. And glory to God, in the first 10 minutes, nobody did. Um, but at the, <laughs> at the same time, it was like, okay, I really hope that this didn't go over anybody's head. I really hope that they were able to grasp something from this. And as everybody was walking out, I would say almost every single one of them shook my hand and thanked me for the message. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate the fact that they, they weren't you know, singing my praises because it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit working in me, right? Yeah, and I think there's a balance even in that. Uh, part of 
um, our, our discipleship and maturity is being able to receive compliments. Yeah. When we think about this way, we even see that in the Bible. What do we know about Barnabas? If it was not for the encouragement of Barnabas in the book of Acts, we may nev never have seen the Apostle Paul. So part of maturity is being able to, in a healthy way, receive, say thank you yeah. uh, for the affirmation we, we, we've been given, but ultimately knowing that we have peace with Christ and we are following Christ, whether we receive that affirmation or not. Because you're right, ultimately it's not about us, it's about the glory of God. Right. So in your book, you mentioned that the calling God has placed in our lives first speaks to who we are in Christ and then to what we do in Christ. Mm. And that God works through those passions in the careers we choose to bless others and to glorify Him. So after that, what would you say to someone who has the desire to preach but doesn't necessarily right now or if ever has the gift to preach? Right. The And, and I love that you brought that point out because that, that's something that's lacking in, in a lot of our churches today. The, the truth of discipleship is, is yes, it's, it's firstly just to, to be drawn to Jesus. Jesus calls us to himself, to a relationship with himself. Then from that, there's a calling to go produce out into the world. And that materializes in so many different ways. There's, uh, there's a myth. Um, it, it kind of has a, a Catholic idea that there is the sacred, and then there's the secular. And there are two different things. Uh, the sacred would be, well, you know, preaching, teaching, missions, you know, things of that nature. Uh, secular would be everything else, and an engineer, doctor, or, right. or, you know, kindergarten teacher. The truth of the matter is, in Christ, it's all sacred when it's done for Christ. Right. When it comes to the, the specific in your question, uh, someone who is feeling maybe I'm, I'm called to preach, but yeah, I, I don't know, that, that's a valid thing because we're, we all have a feeling, a sense to do various things. And, right. and I'm even thinking about the, uh, my uncle who, who pulled me to that point of stepping across the line to Christ. When he was a teenager, when he was a young man, he thought about being a pastor and he prayed about it and realized that that was what God had not called him to do. Now, now God called him to himself. God called him to make disciples, but not in a vocational sense. He's actually an attorney, a very brilliant man. So you have someone who's wondering about that and, and, and it would come back to asking some of those questions. You know, do I have a desire to do this? Uh, if I don't have the desire to do that, well, you know, you know, that's a good start right there. There you go. Uh, do I have opportunities to do this? And then what is the body of Christ? And, and again, not just people in general, but people who love Jesus. What are they saying? Uh, you know, an illustration, someone might say, hey, I love to sing. I love to sing. Uh, I feel like God's calling me to, to lead worship. God's calling me to lead worship. And they get involved in a worship team, but what they find out is that the director, the worship director, or other people are, are saying things like, wow, we love you. Wow, we love your energy. But you know what? No matter what you do, you just can't quite get to that pitch. Uh, that may be an indication that, you know, you're called to worship, but maybe not lead worship. Yeah. Maybe you're called to lead youth ministry, or maybe you're called to be a missionary or whatever, but being willing to accept to listen, to accept, because there are things that we want to do 
or our flesh wants to do. Right. And the, God's saying no. Instead of getting bummed out on that, we need to say, okay, okay, so now what? Maybe God is is not allowing this to prosper. Maybe God is shutting this because there's something better on the other end. And we can't get there to where the the really good is if we're stuck on what is just kind of good. You know, we can't get to the best, the the better, unless we're willing to walk away from what just is kind of good. Yeah. So... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think it was in the chapter, I Hate Being a Nice Pastor, that you mentioned that you had a, a friend of yours who would occasionally borrow a sermon from somebody else. Was that from your book? I, I did mention that, and that kind of comes back to, again, what is this idea of being a pastor? Um, and in one sense, and this this is an older man, he's already gone home to be uh, with, with Jesus in eternity. In one sense, he was a pastor because he was... He was always with people. I yeah. mean, he would meet with a dozen people a day. He was always with people. But he didn't spend a whole lot of time in sermon preparation. Uh, actually, there were times where he would show up in his office on a Saturday afternoon. He would listen to a cassette of another preacher in another state at a big church and kind of listen to that, make notes, and kind of retool the yeah. sermon that somebody else did into his own format, and then preach that on Sunday morning. Now, I'm not saying that to condemn what this guy did. But what I'm saying is, that's something that I could not do. That doesn't mean I'm any better than him, or he's any better than me. But it does kind of, again, get to this idea of what does ministry look like? Because whereas for me, I feel God saying, Steve, you need to spend hours in your study, in your prayer. You need to spend me a lot of time praying. And I believe that's critical, not just for me, but for other people who are planning to preach. But that also means that I don't spend as much one-on-one time with people that this other guy did. So again, it's that idea, what, is, what does it mean to be a pastor? Well, it's not so much what does it mean to be a pastor, but what does it mean to be a disciple? And what does it mean for me to be a disciple of Jesus the way Jesus wants me to be his disciple. It may not be like these other people. It is what is what is Jesus calling me to be in relationship with him? Right. And my question that I'm about to ask isn't so much based on the man that you are referring to, but it was this. So in Germany, actually, I saw that they held their first ever AI-led church service. And to me, that is frightening. Um, the pastor of the church, you know, um, I, I, of course, think you're, um, you know what chat GPT is. And he texted into chat GPT that he told the AI, you're the pastor. This is what I want you to talk about. And it came up with a whole sermon and it even had an AI figure that was speaking. And that's, that's scary because AI what it seems is is coming after every single sort of job, every aspect of this world. So I wanted to ask you, what is your take on AI, and do you see it being a problem in the church? I see it being a problem, and when I really first thought about this, and I was talking with another minister, another pastor, about six months ago, it's interesting, my f- initial thought, my split-second thought was not so much the the church context— or even the God context, but the humanity context, and here's what it was. This is just going to make us lazy. Yeah. 
you know, in other words, if I've got to do a term paper, uh, mm -hmm. I could just type in, hey, you know, chat GP, give me 500 words on this topic. Boom, boom, boom. It's there. I could just print it out yeah. and here you are. Right. Um, and I know the AR people are trying to work on ways to make sure that doesn't happen. But my first thought was, this is just going to make us more lazy. And I think this is important yeah. because we don't have to think. And I think that's dangerous. Uh, I believe that's a problem with our culture today with all these sound bites all over the place. People don't know how to think. They don't know how to reason. Uh, so the more we have AI taking over, the less I have to be responsible to think. And, and, and there is that spiritual theological connection. Uh, people talk about God all the time. Uh, AI makes comments about God. Right. Well, how do we know what is true? Yeah. What do we do know? is that the Bible clearly says that, that Satan is an angel of light. What we do know is that Satan can work through these means to speak untruth right. to the world, and the world's going to eat it up. So uh, I think youth ministers need to be paying attention to this. I think yeah. preachers, pastors, elders, church workers, disciples need to be aware of this and being able to talk to people around them about, okay, I can see something good. You know, there's something called Grammarly. You know, if you mm. can't afford an editor, you know, pay Grammarly $100 a year and put your documents into it, and it's going to help make general edits. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I can see that. But this bigger picture, uh, it can be scary. And I've got to remind myself, about what the Apostle Paul said at the end of Romans chapter 12, that we're not to be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Because yeah. it's really easy to see the evil path that this is going and, and to freak out. But humanity has always been depraved without God. Um, this is just, you know, this is just the next cycle, the next cycle, the next cycle. Uh, therefore, as followers of Christ, we have to rise above that acknowledge the bad, but say, okay, by the way, here's the good. Yeah. You're created in the image of God. You know what? You could write a better article yeah. than what the AI has if you put your heart and mind into it. Right. And I don't mean to keep you too long on this topic of AI, okay. but I actually was able here recently, I saw online a actual interaction between a human and an AI robot and had a one-on-one -on -one interaction. And the AI said that he saw... Um, the AI and the human race, he saw that a war would be inevitable, that it must happen. And I'm, I'm not scared about that at all. But what my point is, is God willing, I hope he comes back and the second coming of Jesus Christ before any of that happens, because this whole thing with, uh, Neuralink, I think it is, I don't want anything to be able to think for me. I don't want yeah. anything to be able to put thoughts inside my head to be able to convince me that God is not real. That's dangerous. And I would love to hope and think that he, Jesus Christ would come back before that happens, right? And, and I would agree with you. The, the truth is he may not. The truth yeah. is we may have to, to suffer. One of the things that we're seeing in our culture today, and, and, and I don't want to digress, but there is the reality that there, there is this idea of, of thought police, not just AI, but those who are wanting to direct how we think, the ideas that we 
acknowledge the ideas that we put out, the ideas that we are able to say this is good, this is bad. There is this press to keep us from thinking. And I believe it's the, the, the root of that, uh, Isaiah, is not political, but ultimately it's satanic. Ultimately, the design is to pull us further and further away from God yeah. uh, by whatever means. And the truth of the matter is, we see this in Romans chapter 1, the further you, away from God you get, the further away from just, just rational thinking uh, you, you can become. So, so we press in, we love the people around us, we speak the truth in love, uh, we try to overcome evil by doing good, and then we, we do have hope that, that whether, G, whether we're here when Jesus Christ comes back or not, Jesus will come back, there will be a day of retribution, there will be a day of judgment, there will be a day of reward, there will be a day where Jesus Christ sets everything right, and, and that has to be our ultimate hope. Absolutely. Anyway. So as I head to wrap this up, in your path of discipleship, what is some encouragement? What are some skills that you have developed and even techniques that you've developed in approaching an unbeliever? <sighs> trying to, to find out where they're at, to assess the situation, uh, trying to love them, again, speaking the truth in love. And, and sometimes it's not speaking anything. It's just uh, being able to help. Uh, you know, if a non-believer, even if, it, you know, I referred to it earlier as an angry atheist. Right. If an angry atheist uh, has a flat tire in front of my house, I'm going to go out there and help him change the tire. It's just yeah. the right thing to do. Absolutely. I'm going to love them the way Christ would love them. Uh, trying to, to look for the opportunities to speak, because sometimes you're just going to speak a little bit of truth, and it may not bear fruit now, but it may bear fruit down the road. Um, trying to serve them, trying to love them, trying to also not play the games. Uh, to, to be able to say, hey, this is who I am. Uh, I'm not going to go down that road. I'm going to love you. I'm going to, to help you if I can. But I'm not going to go down those uh, theological, philosophical directions that are opposed to God. This is who I am. I'm going to stand on it. Yeah. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm, I'm just going to say, this is who I am. This is what I believe. This is what the message is. Uh, if you have real questions, I want to help you answer them. And it's interesting that Peter even talks about that, that, that we are supposed to live such a life that the world will see the difference and then say, hey, Tell me about the hope that lies within you. Why are you different? Yeah. Well, that's an opportunity right there to say, well, let me tell you about Jesus. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in an instance that someone pushes away the gospel, what is some advice that you would give to the young men, the young women, the disciples of Christ out there, no matter the age, really? What is some advice that you would give to them? Uh, number one, and this may sound uh, kind of a cliche, is to not to take it personally. Being honest, I, I had to wrestle with that a lot. Every now and then I still do because it, it gets hard. Uh, emotionally, it gets hard when you're pouring your life out, you're pouring your soul, your heart out to, to, to rescue someone. And they say no. Um, to, to remember that at, at the very root level, it's not you they're rejecting. It's the message of Christ. So number one, not to take it personal. Number two, to keep at it. Number three, to pray for the person. Uh, number four, I think, 
just learning when when is the time to step back. Here's an illustration. I learned this a number of years ago in, in, in a life-saving class that if you find somebody who's drowning way out in a pond uh, in the ocean and they're, they're far enough out that you can't throw a rope to them, uh, you can't go out to them in a boat. The only way you can get to them is to swim. Yeah. So when you swim out to them and they're initially flailing around in the water, there's a moment in time where you actually don't grab them. Because if you grab them immediately and they're flailing around, they're actually going to pull you down and you're going to drown with them. But to be close enough that they see you, they know you're there. But to just step back a little bit until they get to a point where they give up. And at that moment in time, you're able to go in, you know, literally when they're, they're saying, oh, they can't move, they're about to drown. That's when you go in and grab them and, you know, you get your arm around their arm and get them by the chin and kind of do a slide, side stroke and, and get them to shore. But being able to step back. So I'm loving these people. I'm, I'm giving them information. But there's a moment in time where I just have to step back and let the Holy Spirit do it. Yeah. That I'm available. I'm here. But I'm going to stop pushing. And then always, just always to continue to pray, which is hard. It, it, get, it, get, it gets monotonous. But praying that God would open their eyes, God would open their hearts, uh, God would open their understanding that they would see. People have a free will, but that Satan, that God would remove the veil that Satan has erected and they can see clearly who God is, how much Jesus loves them, and how they need to respond to that. Just that we continue to pray for them and the opportunity to continue to love on them. Amen. So before I close this out, is there anything else you'd like to say? Yeah, I, I just want to encourage your, your, your listeners to hang in there. It, um, uh, the Authentic Christianity is playing for the long game. It's not just when you feel good. It's not just when you, you, you feel the exhilarating highs of worship and being in the presence of God. It's walking through the dark valleys as well. That's what authentic faith is. It's getting up, doing the right thing, following Jesus, even when no one else is, even when you don't feel it, and encouraging people to just say, hey, just hang in there. You know, roll with the punches. Uh, don't throw, throw in the towel. Keep going because at the end of the day, we know how the story ends and we know uh, that Jesus is coming back for his kids. And I just want to encourage people to keep pressing in. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, there is hope in, in Jesus Christ. And, and I just want to encourage people with that thought. Amen. Thank you, everybody, for joining for us on episode 24 of the show. And uh, next episode, episode uh, actually, this is episode 25. So, I mean, we'll see you in episode 26, and we'll get back on the parables of Jesus. God bless.